Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So glad you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall or if you're tuning in, uh, welcome. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my voice, so you'll have to bear with me as we go on. Uh, let me, uh, we are kicking off our uh, eight-week series on the book of Hebrews today. We are calling it Hebrews Together. And hopefully you have picked up uh, the devotional that we have prepared for you so you can track throughout this whole eight weeks with us. I think it's going to be great. Uh, let me go ahead and jump right in. Now let me give you some background on Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, was written to Jewish Christians, which means that there are going to be a lot of Old Testament references, uh, even though this is a New Testament book. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, the Bible is broken into two big parts. Part one, which is called the Old Testament, is where, G where God makes a promise to the, the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, that one day he will bless the entire world through them. Part two, which is called the New Testament, is where God makes good on that promise by sending Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, it is a blessing to the entire world. Hebrews, if you are fuzzy on how part one matches up with part two or connects to it, Hebrews will be a great study for you because there are 35 different Old Testament references in the 13 chapters of Hebrews, which averages out to be almost three per chapter. So it'll help you connect part one and part two. The second thing I want you to know about Hebrews is that it wasn't just written to Jewish Christians. It was also written to these Jewish Christians who were not doing well. They were suffering. It was not paying off to be a follower of Jesus in their culture at that time. For the same reason, it's hard to be a follower of Jesus in our culture right now. The first century was a pluralistic society, which meant that there were a lot of different beliefs that people had. So it was very unpopular to say that Jesus was the only way to God. And the big temptation was to make Jesus equal with everyone else. And so that you would say that there are lots of ways to get to God, and Jesus is just my way. And Hebrews says, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare back away from Jesus. Fourteen times in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is greater than something or someone. And we're going to cover eight of those in this series. What the Hebrew writer says is that you shouldn't back away from Jesus. You need to lean into Jesus. You need to take a closer look. So if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, uh, this is going to be a great series for you because you will get to see the uniqueness of Jesus. Hebrews will take us on a journey. It can take us on a journey from weariness to rest, from alienation to the very presence of God, from isolation to community. And how wonderful does that sound? Let me just say that again, and I want you to just let it kind of flow over you. If you are weary, then this can take you on a journey to bring you rest. If you feel far away from God, if you feel alienated, this can bring you into the very presence of God. If you feel alone or isolated. This can bring you into community. 
But Hebrews says the only way that we will make it on this journey to those things is if we fix our eyes on Jesus. And what that means is for the next eight weeks, no matter what is going on inside of you, no matter what is going on outside of you, in our culture, in our world, even in our church, for the next eight weeks, we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we're going to see where we end up two months from now. Okay? All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, then it's gonna, the verses are going to show up on the screen. I'm just going to read the first three verses, uh, but it'll be enough. You'll see. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is God's word. I wrote in my uh, journal this morning, my prayer journal, I was just telling Jesus, I don't know how I can do justice to you in these first three verses and all that it says about you. you These first three verses, the Hebrew starts out by giving us seven different characteristics of Jesus. And then he he gives us the first of the greater thans, that Jesus is greater than the prophets. And here are my three points for today. I want to talk about why prophets are great. Number two, why Jesus is greater. And number three, why that's great news. Why prophets are great, why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. It's actually going to be a template that we're going to use, hopefully, for all eight messages. Like Next week is going to be about angels, and the three points are going to be why angels are great, why Jesus is greater, and why that's great news. Right, but let's talk about prophets, why prophets are great. Uh, some of you know I ride a, a bicycle for exercise, um, and uh, it's my only hobby. And I, I have different routes that I ride, depending on how far I want to go. And uh, about a week and a half uh, ago, I was riding one of my routes, and I got on a road, one of my normal roads, and it was, had been chip-and-sealed, which is a terrible thing for a bicyclist. So I got off that road, and I ended up on a road I'd never been on before. And it was a country road, and I was riding along. And, you know, when I ride, sometimes I, I pray, sometimes I just think. And so I'm riding, and, and I passed by a house, and there was a sign in the yard. It wasn't a realty sign. It was just a white sign with block letters. And I had been going through kind of a difficult few days. And I looked over, and the sign said, don't give up. And I was riding, I was just was going... Okay, that's kind of neat, right? So I ride up to my turnaround spot, and I turn around and go back, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to see this same sign, you know? But when I came back, the sign on the other side, instead of saying, don't give up, it said, just take one day at a time. Just one day at a time. And I went by that one. I was going, wow, okay. It made me smile. Let me ask you a question. Was that from God? Maybe. I'd like to think so. 
But if you're a skeptical, I understand that. That's okay. But if I had stopped my bike and gotten off my bike and walked up to that house and knocked on the door and the owner of the house opened it up and he said, you must be Joe. God told me to put the sign out for you. (laughs) Well, then that moves from a possibility to a certainty that that message was from God. That's what a prophet would do. A prophet was a middleman. Prophets are middle management. They don't originate the message, but they will say, this is what God says. I'm delivering a message for someone else, to you. You have probably been in the role of a prophet sometime in your life or used prophets or somebody in a role of a prophet for you to deliver a message for you, to be a middle man. The first time I remember using somebody in the role of a prophet was when I was in fourth grade with Elsa Marie Gunderson. Elsa Marie Gunderson was my first crush. And I, uh, I wanted to find out if I had any chance with her, but I couldn't, of course, ask her directly. So I wrote a note and I gave it to my friend Phil Larson. And I said, Phil, I need you to deliver this note to Elsa Marie. Right? He was in the role of a prophet. He didn't originate the message. He was delivering the message to let Elsa Marie know that I existed, that I was interested, and that I wanted to have relationship with her. The Old Testament is full of prophets. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Nahum, Habakkuk, all kinds of prophets. People who were middlemen, who would bring a message from God. One of the first and the most famous is a man named Moses. You know, Moses was important because Charlton Heston played him in a movie. (laughs) And if Charlton Heston plays you, you have made it, right? This is the way Moses became a prophet. He was uh, keeping his sheep, and he saw a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't being burned up. So he was curious, and he went over to the bush. And when he got close to the bush, he heard a voice. And the voice said, Moses, Moses. And Moses stopped, and he said, yeah, here I am. And then God gave him this message. This is from Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. It says, Then God said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God gives Moses a message, a note. And every part of that message is important. He says, listen, tell them, I have heard their cry. Tell them I care. Tell them I'm going to do something. Tell them it's all going to end 
well, go, tell them that. Can you imagine what it would be like to, to be a slave and receive that note from God? That God would say to you, you thought I wasn't listening, but I was. You thought I didn't care, but I do. And I am coming for you. How great would it be to have a prophet deliver a message like that to you? How great would it be for you to know a prophet? To have a prophet in your family? Imagine what that would be like, where you could go to a prophet in your family and say, listen, I need to know from God. I'm about to make this decision. Would you go ask him which is the best way to go? Would you ask him which direction I should go in this? And the person in your family would say, okay, give me a sec. And they would go to a bedroom and they would be there for about an hour and then they'd come out and they'd go, okay, I got word from God. This is not from me. This is from God. This is what you should do. How many times would you use them a day? What kind of questions would you ask? What kind of questions wouldn't you ask? You know there'd be some questions you wouldn't ask. You wouldn't want to know. Because having a prophet connected to God would be like having a a nutritionist in your family. Right? You, you don't ask the nutritionist in your family certain questions because you've already made the decision. You don't go to the nutritionist with a, with a cinnamon roll and say, hey, should I eat this? Right? You already know the answer. You've made your decision. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, that's what's amazing to me. The Old Testament is chock full of prophets. People who had notes from God for people a prophet who could go to God and say, this is what God says to you. This is what he says you should do. This is what should happen. But the Old Testament is also chock full of people who would disregard prophets, who would not want to listen to prophets because the people needed more than just a middleman. And if you and I are honest, we do too. As great as prophets are, we needed something greater. And that brings me to the second point, why Jesus is greater. Every religion has prophets. Every religion has middle management. You know, prophets like Muhammad, a prophet, Joseph Smith, prophet. My Buddha, prophet of sorts. Moses, prophet. You know, and the prophet was supposed to say, listen, you want to know what God says? I can tell you because I've talked with God. You want to know the way to God? I can show you the way to God. Right? But what happens here in Hebrews is that Hebrews starts out and it, Hebrews says Jesus is different. He's in a different category. He doesn't belong on the same shelf with all the prophets. More accurately, all the prophets don't belong on the same shelf with Jesus. There is something different about Jesus. And this is what it is. Let's go back to Moses. So God gives Moses a note to give to the people. And he says, I want you to go to my people and tell them that I've heard their cry, that I care, that I'm going to come for them, right? that I have a plan. So Moses does that, but the people are skeptical, and it's understandably so. Right? So then God says, I'm going to unleash 10 plagues. And he, before each plague, he tells Moses what's going to happen. And Moses tells the people, then it happens. So the people begin to have confidence in Moses that he is not just impersonating God, but that he really does hear from God and he is delivering notes from God. 
But remember the burning bush when Moses first became a prophet. He became a prophet because he saw a bush that was on fire. And when he got close to that bush, the voice said, take off your sandals, for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And throughout the entire story in Exodus with Moses, wherever God is, there is fire. In fact, the Hebrews began to have a name for it. They called it Shekinah. Shekinah was the fire of God, the glory of God. It started in the bush that was Shekinah, the very presence of God burning. So the the presence of God said to Moses, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. When God would lead the people out of Egypt, he led them by the Shekinah took the form of a pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke by day. When they get to the to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, the Shekinah, the presence of God rests on the top of the mountain and it's on fire. And the first thing the people are told is don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you will die. They longed to run towards the presence of God, but they could not because the glory of God was too great. Even Moses was talking with God and said to God, can I see your glory? And God said, you can't. It will destroy you. Like you or me going out into the midday sun and looking straight up into the sun. It would literally destroy your eyes. And if that's true of the sun, how much more true is it of the glory of God? And then Jesus comes. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 at the beginning. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews says, oh, don't, don't put Jesus in the same category with a prophet. And the reason is because Jesus isn't middle management. He's not a middleman. He is the glory. He is the Shekinah, the fire of God in a form that you can draw close to, that you can relate to. When it says the exact representation of his nature, it means that that the glory of God was in Jesus in such a way that he, he could show the beauty of God, the majesty of God, the boundless love of God, even the shattering power of God in a way that would not destroy you. Jesus was not a prophet. He was something else entirely. And when it says he was the exact imprint of his nature, the exact representation, it means there is no more when you saw Jesus, you saw God. When you looked at Jesus' face, you were looking at the face of God. Which is why whenever a prophet would talk, as as great as prophets were, the prophets always started by saying, listen, I want you to know this is not a message from me. This is from God. It's originated from God. I'm just a middleman. That's why every time they would speak, they would start out by saying, thus saith the Lord, not me, thus saith the Lord. When you read the Gospels, Jesus never, ever says that phrase. Isn't that wild? Not once does Jesus Christ ever say, thus saith the Lord. Instead, Jesus says something else. In the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, 
Over and over and over again, Jesus is telling people, you've heard it said, you've heard the ancients were told this, but I say to you, I say to you, I say to you. So Jesus was not a middle man. Jesus was not middle management. As great as prophets are, Jesus was greater. And that brings me to the third point, why that's great news. Why that's great news. No matter how many notes you pass back and forth with somebody, no matter how excited you get about the potential of what those notes might mean, there comes a time when you want to connect with the person. Right? If you've ever been in that situation where you're texting back and forth with somebody or you're, you're writing emails back and forth, but you don't really know them, you finally want to say, can we finally connect because notes can only go so far. But if you've ever found yourself in that position, you also know that you have, as you get closer to connecting with the person, you're filled with both fear and excitement. Right? Fear, because let me go to Elsa Marie. As long as we were just passing notes, I was free to, you know, to have an image of what she was like in my head, an image of how she would respond to me. I could imagine you know, how, she, how sweet she was. I could imagine how much she would laugh at my knock-knock jokes. I was in fourth grade. I had great knock-knock jokes. <laughs> people do that with God all the time. I can't tell you how many times I talked to people and heard them say, you know what? You know, when, when I think of God, I think of God like this. When I think of God, he is accepting of everyone, right? And if you're here today and that's the way you think about God, you're still passing notes. You're still passing notes. Because with Elsa Marie, when we stopped passing notes and we connected, when, when she replaced the notes, she also replaced the image in my head with the real her, right? And that has to happen. Jesus comes to replace the image of God you have in your head with the real thing. And you can go on if you want to have a God in your head that, you, that always agrees with you, that sees the world the way you see the world, that never makes demands on you. But you need to know that's not a real God. right? Because you can never have a relationship with an image that you create in your head. You can only have a relationship with someone that's real, and someone that's real has hard edges that you can't bend into what you want. My wife and I got to spend uh, last weekend with my daughter Becca and her new husband, Sean Michael. They've been married for six weeks. And we asked them, one of the questions we asked them is, what, what do you know about each other now that you didn't know six weeks ago? And they laughed, and the answer was plenty, <laughs> right? Because no matter how, what the image was that they had of what it would be like to live together, to be together as a married couple, reality pushes that out and replaces it with what's real. But that's the only way you can have relationship. I should tell you this, too. That Jesus comes so that you might have relationship with God. But it's not just a, a, he can't come into your life as some kind of add-on to your life. 
as some kind of personal assistant that you count on from time to time. You know, in, in verse 3, right in the middle, it says this, he's the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let me see if I can remember. I read this illustration uh, a while ago. Let me see if I can remember it, but this way the illustration went. I think the distance from the earth to the sun is 93 million miles. And if that 93 million miles was represented by a single sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star is a stack of papers, each one representing 93 million miles. That stack would be 70 feet high, right? If you were going to measure the diameter of our galaxy, and our galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. If you were to measure the diameter of our galaxy with that stack of paper that each sheet would represent 93 million miles, you would need a stack of paper 80 miles long. And the point is this. Someone who holds the universe by the word of his power, by his pinky, doesn't come into your life to be your, your, your new personal assistant. He doesn't come into your life as an add-on. He comes into your life to be worshipped, for you to fall on your knees. He comes into your life to change maybe everything about you. But the reason you can trust him to do that is because of this last part of verse 3, where it says this, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a weird way to start this great book of Hebrews. I mean, he starts the first two verses, two and a half verses, I understand. He's saying, oh, listen, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't ever move away from him. Don't back away from him because it's hard in the middle of our culture. He is exalted. He is amazing. He holds all things by the, by the word of his power. And then it goes, and he made purification for sins for you. Why does he have that? right there. And the reason is because Jesus has come for relationship. Jesus has come to replace the image that you have in your head, the image of God that you hold onto with the real God, but he also does that so that you can have relationship with him. And if you've been in relationship with anyone, with any human being for any length of time, you realize that there has to be forgiveness because every human being does things that are offensive and those offenses need to be forgiven. And when you're in a relationship with somebody else, then there's an easy forgiveness and a harder forgiveness. The easy forgiveness is when you both have done something wrong, and one of you says, listen, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And the other person goes, oh, I'm sorry too. I did something wrong too. Would you forgive me? And you forgive each other. The harder one is when one person is the offender and the other person is completely innocent. And then you're dependent on the other person for sheer grace because they did nothing wrong. And that's the way we are with God. That's the way you are with God. So if you're ever going to have a relationship with God, then you need to be forgiven. And that's why Hebrews says 
He made purification for your sins. Hebrews starts out not just telling us who Jesus is, but what Jesus was willing to do for you. That first message, right? The first note Moses was giving. He says, I tell them I have heard their cry. They thought I didn't hear, but I did. I care. They thought I didn't, but I do. And I am coming for you. And God sent Jesus to come for you. And his grace is not stingy. His grace is abundant. His grace is full. His grace is complete. And the reason I know that is because verse 3 says he sat down. After he'd made purification of sins, he sat down because there was no more to do. It was enough. Jesus' grace is enough for every single thing you have ever done or ever will do so that you can have a relationship with God. Hebrews starts out by saying prophets are great. Oh, to get a note from God that says, I have heard your cry, I see what you need, I care, I am coming for you is great. But to finally have the person that you were made for, that you long for, come and say, I'm here, come to me. That is infinitely greater. Prophets are great. Jesus is greater. And that's great news. So we are going to take communion now together, which is absolutely fitting that we end with purification of sins and then we get to take communion together. We're going to do this every week for the next eight weeks. Uh, We're going to take communion during the service And that's because we want, Hebrews is all about Jesus, all about his majesty, his magnificence, the wonder of his love. And so we're going to connect every week through communion to that. All right, so let me pray, and then I'll explain how communion is going to work. All right, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we come to you, and I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that you have spoken in many ways at many times through prophets, But in these last days, you've spoken through your Son. And Jesus is so much greater. Thank you for who he is, and not just who he is, but what he has done for us. And as we take communion, as we celebrate this, I pray that you will remind us of what it means to have such a wonderful Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is the way uh, communion is going to work both here in the sanctuary and over in East Hall, is that uh, they're gonna, the deacons are going to come, they're going to pass trays by you. In the trays, there are, uh, there's a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and they are stacked on top of each other. If you'll grab the whole stack, uh, and then we will be worshiping together, and at some time during the worship, you can take communion on your own. But I want you to know that as you take communion, this is what I want you to be thinking about. Scripture says that Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins, for the purification of your sins, so that you can have relationship 
with God, take it, drink it, and remember me. So let's do that. If you are here and you're not yet a Christian, then I I don't want you to mix this up with some kind of religious ritual. This is when we identify with Jesus and we say, Jesus is the one who has saved us, who has connected us with God. We believe this with all of our hearts. If you're not ready to do that yet, that's okay. Just let that that tray pass you by. And then uh, when you come to that relationship with God through Jesus, then you'll understand and take it with us. All right? Deacons, come.